The following is a conversation. It has the features of any conversation, such as imperfectly expressed thoughts, ill-considered opinions, and the notions of several sleep-deprived brains. Try not to get your stethoscope in a twist about it. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, the show that gives you an honest look at medical school, a production of the University of Iowa. Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today in the SP studio, the lustrous and valuable MD PhD student and new co-host, Michelle Chen. Hello. Precious and rare M2 Jacob Lamb. Hello. The brilliantly iridescent PA2 and new co-host, Alice Sway. Hi. Wow. And let's not forget the Diamond Hard MD PhD student, Aline. Sanduk. Hi, thanks for having me again. Of course. Do I have a choice at this point? Not really. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. You could kick me off. It's within your power. You, I could, you make I up could the never rules. kick you off, Aline. Chances are, like, given the number of times you've been on the show, there'd be a mutiny. That 90% of our listener base is like here for Aline. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I what what I need to do is get a life so that I have other things to do. I don't I want just, you. No. I love to be here. And I don't I want you to have this. a life. Okay, I want good. this to be your life. Everything that you do. It is. It is my. I came to med school here to be on the show. Actually, <laughs> that's what I. That's what I'd hoped. <laughs> Allison, Michelle, as newbies, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Where are you from? What'd you do there? Why are you studying medicine? That sort of thing. Hi, so I'm Alice Sway. I'm a PA. Now, one that's not two. how you told me to pronounce your <laughs> name. It sounds the same to me. Okay, all right. Go ahead. Uh, so I'm a PA one slash two. I f- I'm from Iowa, but I was born in California. But I lived in South Korea for a few years. But I spent like 10 plus years in Iowa. So I consider myself an Iowan. I guess I chose medicine and the PA profession mostly to, this is like stereotypical, like help people and just i don't know yeah just to help people and then i chose pa because i'm really indecisive so i don't <laughs> want to commit to like a residency i want to be able to choose whatever specialty feels right at the time i guess that's so. not indecisive you're keeping your options open that's you're, true that's, that's a I better mean, way to put mm-hmm. it most people don't pick a single career and then promise to stick with it forever except for mds which i find to be really odd you know, there's a bigger trend now with people jumping yeah. residencies because they just they get into it. They find that it doesn't work. But then you have to go back to the match and whatever. Other people can just like apply for a new job. Yeah. And go, well, my skills transfer, but not medic. Not, like Alice. Not, <laughs> right. She can do a residency. Yeah. If she wants to. Oh, is that true? Yeah. we. It's becoming more popular now just to make yourself more competitive in certain specialties. But. Oh, God. I feel like that kind of defeats the purpose of being a PA, so I don't think I, I'm planning on doing it. But fair enough, fair enough. If pharmacists, I think, have residencies now, I I had not heard of this, but apparently pharmacy students do residencies. So if they want, but they don't have to. We're creeping, Dave. We're creeping yeah. into every other profession <laughs> yeah. with the way that we do things, oh, which isn't always perfect. That's that's great. That's great. What about you, Michelle? Okay, so I was born in China. Mm-hmm. 
And then I moved to the U.S. when I was a kid. I grew up mostly in the suburbs outside of Denver. And I guess I chose the MD-PhD route. I originally wanted to be a doctor, and then I did a ton of research during undergrad. Kind of just fell in love with it. Couldn't imagine doing anything else. But I still was like interested in the translational component of research, so like disease and medicine. Specifically, I'm like interested in mental illness in like minority and immigrant populations. So then that kind of brought me here. Nice. Yeah. Well, welcome. Awesome. I'm I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. We're gonna talk today about social media, of course. It's everywhere. Medical professionals apparently are also d- doing the social media. I, I remember the days when for medical professionals, it was like, I don't know. I don't know if we can do this. This sounds like a bad idea. But of course, that has changed. And and even for medical professionals, it's, it's just something that is done. And there are a lot of things to consider when it comes to social media. Am I being professional? What does professional even mean? Are medical schools slash residencies slash future employers going to look at my social media? Can they use it to keep you from getting a job? Should I start a vlog? Should I start a med TikTok? An informative Instagram? Should you be a medfluencer? So we're going to talk about all that today. Do you guys use uh, social media to any extent? I use it a lot. (laughs) Are you a consumer or a producer? I'm definitely a consumer. I'm like on all platforms and all I do is like watch what other people do. Yeah. Exactly. I I only use it to like watch what other people are doing, but I don't post like I think on Instagram I post like once every like three or four years. <laughs> yeah. I use it mostly for like cat videos. Like of course. dog videos. Oh, that remains so the single biggest reason why the internet exists. It's cat videos, cute animal videos. Yeah, Michelle's my girl on the same thing, but <laughs> instead of cats, it's just, it's all dogs and babies, just puppies and babies oh, all yeah. over the place. Yep. So good. Do you, do you use social media for education purposes? Sometimes. I think, yeah. Like when I was applying, I would look at like interview questions that other people had like the year before or just like how to make my common application better. So I guess that's Did you, was there a particular place you went to for that? Mostly YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Because the other like the other platforms are too short, I right. think. I watch a lot of food videos, just like food documentaries <laughs> in general. So that's education. So guess, that's yeah, education. To me, that's education. So I go on and I'll like look at recipes and nutrition. Mm, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I like that too. I agree. It's just there's something and we've talked about this, I think, a long, long time ago, about like there's something very calming and soothing about watching someone do something really well. So like cooking or like putting on makeup, which is like, you know, their face is a canvas and they are painting it in this beautiful way, you know, Um, or like woodworking. I know for a while people were watching a lot of like woodworking videos and people building furniture. And so I am a personally a voracious consumer of people fixing cars, Hmm. which why? Because I'm not going to fix a car, never going to fix a car. I like knowing, but as you say, I do like watching people do things well. Yeah. And I like watching people try to figure out, it's like a mystery. Like, why is this car not working? But that sounds really stupid when I tell you that. (laughs) This is a safe space. There's no judgment here. And my wife is like, what are you watching? That sounds so boring. But, you know. There's a, I used to watch those, like, you know, when they cut up the soap, it's like all the oh, different yeah. colors. <laughs> the, so that's not the satisfying, the, <laughs> the satisfying videos. Yeah. Do you, 
do you do you worry about your social media use? I mean, like, I would say that, like, technically, if I got rid of it, I probably would be a more efficient person. But like, I'm still doing fine as I am right now. So, are like, you Jacob? Are you really? <laughs> I am doing okay. <laughs> okay, because you know you read about like, oh, social media is making people more anxious or more sad or more this or more that. Mm-hmm. I think it's making it a lot harder to have like honest, open conversations with people about very difficult topics. Because something I'm realizing is like the algorithms are scary good and like they know what you're looking at and they're like, oh, this is what sets off this person's brain. The algorithms, generally speaking, are not that the, what they what they seek to do is not necessarily to give you what you want. They seek to give you what will keep you on the platform mm. the longest possible amount of time. Which yeah. and that's those are two slightly different things, right? Yeah. So they'll get maybe they'll get you you know, maybe you'll gravitate towards videos that fire you up and piss you off. Yeah. And well, so they'll serve you that so that you'll stay on the platform longer. Not necessarily things that you might enjoy or might make you feel better, you know. That. Yeah. Well the downside of that is that it's it's distorting your sense of reality. Because yeah. you're you're seeing videos of things that you had no part of. You're only seeing, you know, the camera person's perspective as opposed to like the hundreds of other people there. And I think, you know, you start to see those things and you you know that those are like one offs, you know, very shocking or very unusual. But then if you see them enough, you start to think like, oh, that is what's happening all of that's the time. truth. That becomes truth. Yeah. You know. And then that's why people are living in all these different bubbles now. Like we all have realities that are shaped by whatever media we're consuming. So you should be like me and Michelle just look at animal videos all the time. Just surround yeah. yourself with love and wholesomeness all the time. I, di- I did have to personally unsubscribe from many of the DIY channels that I <laughs> consume on YouTube specifically because they were making me feel bad that I never did any of those things. <laughs> A little bit like, yeah. you know, yeah, I get that, which does which doesn't really help me do any of those things. But, you know, yeah, I get the feeling of like feeling bad sometimes when I see my friends post like things on Instagram about them traveling and seeing the world, especially as medical students. You're kind of you're so busy and your time is kind of like constrained. But obviously they're not traveling 24 seven. It's just like what they post. So. I started using recently Be Real. You heard about mm. this one? Yeah. Doesn't it? That? Isn't it like a random time where you like post a video of like yourself? Yeah. The app will send you a, a notification like time to post your be real, and it's sort of like a, a <laughs> random time. And whatever you're doing, that's what you are supposed to post. Huh. And uh, I've got three friends on be real, including Matt Engelkin. <laughs> 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 and invariably, I get the notification, and I go to post it and it turns out that once again it's a picture of me on the couch lying down and perusing social media (laughs) (laughs) so it'll be a picture and it and it shows you that the the image that it captures is both from the front camera and the back camera so it takes a picture of you and it takes a picture of whatever you're seeing and you know supposedly the idea like you know the way the way they talk about it is you know like you'll it'll show you a picture of you and your friends that you're hanging out with but in my case it's a picture of my face on the couch and then a picture of the ceiling fan. <laughs> tremendous, tremendous content. 
and making you realize things about yourself. And you're like, I don't like this reality at I, all. I want to go back <laughs> to travel pictures and me doing cool stuff all the time. And you can post outside of those times, but it will note it will make a note that you know you didn't post it at the moment you mm. you did it. At the moment that, that it asked you to do it so that people know that maybe you could have staged that a little bit or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the temptation to stage it is is big for me because mm-hmm. I don't want to see another picture of the ceiling fan. So do you guys think that programs are acting? So I know like we talk about stories like this all the time that like residency programs are looking at people's Facebooks. But like, do you think that they are act like is that? Like a, feature a formal of part of their interview process to be like, all right, Google this person and then let us know if anything comes up. Or do you think it's just like these one off horror stories of like, oh, well, we found this picture of a lady in a bikini, but we can't have that. So, we, you know, we rejected her. Yeah, I know like there were a lot there was. I do get like med influencers on my feed sometimes. And she was just there was a doctor and she was talking about how she was getting backlash for posting like pictures of her like in a bikini when she was on vacation in like Mexico or something. And like, that's I feel so like that's dumb. exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, there was that paper that ended up being redacted. I think like journal vascular surgery. And they basically had these doctors make fake accounts to follow mostly female like surgeons. Yeah. yeah it was all bullshit. Yeah. And it was like, it's unprofessional because they're posting pictures of themselves in bikinis. Yeah. 2020 journal of vascular surgery prevalence of unprofessional social media content among young vascular surgeons, which specifically mentioned photos that included quote, provocative posing in bikinis slash swimwear and holding and consuming alcohol. Which, by the way, both things that humans do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And are completely legal. And are legal. completely exactly. legal you know? and completely really devoid of, you know, morality content. You know, you know what's crazy about that? It's like going to a strip club and being like, oh my God, all these people are naked. Guys, everyone, come to the strip club. Like, why were you there in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> it's so creepy. It's you, you can't narc on people like that without inadvertently self-owning that like you were being creepy to these people and looking them up so well that i mean that i think the problem is or i think one of the problems is that you know we talk a lot in medicine about the word professional right Mm -hmm. but i have yet to read a good definition or really any definition offered to students about what professional is and by the way i'm aware of efforts here at the carver college of medicine to helpfully hope i think helpfully define professionalism for evaluators Mm -hmm. because again you know that's something that you get evaluated on but nobody really knows it's sort of like it's sort of like you know pornography like i know what pornography is when i see it i know what professionalism is when i see it Mm -hmm. but nobody really has a good definition of it and some people think professionalism is you know don't speak when until you're spoken to other people think that it's you know always doing what you've been told to do even if you don't think that's a good idea not criticizing other not criticizing me don't criticize me that's not professional i know better than you mm-hmm. that sort of thing yeah so. and it's strange because it's a component in all of our classes and some of them i understand like for caps our clinical class where we like interact with simulated patients i feel like professionalism is more important in that context but then when we do like mohg2 where we log on to zoom or watch it online like hours later after it's posted i just don't know what professionalism really means in that Mm. right does professionalism mean 
you know, if you have a, if you have a zoom lecture, does professionalism mean that you change out of your jammies or does it mean that, you know, you're, or is it okay to be, you know, like attending lecture from your bed? I mean, so like, because we know a lot of people did that. I guess so. Like, well, first of all, most of the lectures, it's like you don't need to turn your webcam on. But I guess like one thing that I've been doing on Zoom, like all these times we have to turn cameras on, I have like a wild background on yeah. my Zoom just to like make myself laugh, hopefully make other people. And I've I've gotten messages of people with like nice background, which is like that's the goal. But like, I think as long as it's not really like disrupting anything, it's like professionalism is only how like the big man defines it so it's like for me at least it's like if it's not illegal it should be fine <laughs> this is my zoom image you know when my camera's not on this is what people see oh yeah and it's a picture of me against a backdrop of with the logo for the university let me put that on the screen there there we go there he is and uh, and i'm wearing a purposefully goofy expression on my face and every time i know people can see that like so so like i i'm a secretary for the for the medical arts and sciences committee which reviews the preclinical curriculum courses mm -hmm. and so you know when i'm not on camera that my stupid goofy face is looking looking at everybody mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes i think to myself is that the, is that the professional image dave that you want to project and then immediately I mean, i'm like yeah <laughs> it's pretty much if like they can't take a joke yeah that's exactly like the first time when I did it. I was like, I don't know. But now it's like I have like dogs in my background, like dabbing things like yeah. toilet, like anything. Just that sounds to, fun. Yeah, that sounds I just very pull, engaging. Uh, and I had it like I had like a weekly class. I changed. I made a, an effort to like change it every week just to like keep people in suspense. I think that's a fine thing. <laughs> it's hard to define professionalism now because what a professional is is changing quite a bit and it depends on the profession right but i guess there's some universal tenets which is you know being respectful you know respecting the dignity of everyone involved but i don't know when we were talking about zoom i was thinking of a meeting that i was on a zoom meeting that i was on a few months ago where like it's easy to define like what very unprofessional is and like extremely professional, but everything in between is a little hard. But like this person tuned into the Zoom meeting sitting on their couch at like a super unflattering angle, like from like it must have been their phone propped up against a pillow and no one can see this because we're describing it. But like we're just like laying down like like a Roman Caesar, you know, and just like eating <laughs> grapes, you know, and it was so weird. And it was like could, every be real I've ever taken of myself. <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but it was you. No, I'm just kidding. But but so like like a the purpose of the meeting was clear. Like we were there to discuss like finances, serious and policy, shit, yeah. you know, yeah, professional things. And you could tell, so besides the posture and like what the person was doing and kind of their clothing, which was like kind of revealing and not flattering, you know. The other thing I noticed was that like there were shadows being projected onto the wall, which meant their TV was on. And so they were watching TV <laughs> during the meeting. And I really, I was like, am I that person now who's like, I don't know, just like a wet blanket to be like, hey, maybe you should like turn off the TV while we're talking and just like, you know, it's just an hour long meeting, you know, sit at a desk, you know, put a put a shirt on, oh, you know, 
you know, cover up your Lonely. decollete. I know, <laughs> you know, I'm and I'm really struggling with this. Did you this. almost say decolletage? Decollete, yeah, your your decollete. I mean, it was a pretty low cut shirt and <laughs> and like I haven't heard that word since the Saturday Night Live sketch with Christopher Walken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, right. <laughs> the Continental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like that's a really easy thing to point to and be like, hey, yeah, that's kind of unprofessional. You know, you're you're at a meeting, like, you know, please sit upright as you would in an office and, you know. Pay attention. Pay attention. You Look know. alert. Yeah, exactly. Don't watch TV, you yeah. know. But there's so much like ambiguous in the background. There's so much other things that some people think is totally fine and other people who are like a little more old school would think is weird but like, well, it's like tattoos oh yeah they're right? everywhere everyone's got a tattoo it used now. to be that if you would think about you know covering up your tattoos when you went to do your you know clerkships and things like that or your piercings or whatever that's a that's completely one. changed yeah that's changed in my lifetime like i remember a time when no one in a hospital had tattoos and now i was in the or and like this big time like not a not a joke type of surgeon very specialized surgeon walked in and had like a pretty elaborate tattoo on the back of their neck and i was like man times have changed like look at this badass person who's like yeah and this yeah say something you know i don't know times have changed and i think moving in a good direction right well i hope that whatever guidelines or whatever rubric that schools are using, that they're not, I, I think it's, I think there's a trap in defining specifics about what is professionalism versus what is not professionalism, defining by example, because those can become outdated pretty quickly. I think behavior is okay. Appearance, like judging someone based on their appearance is not okay. Judging someone on their behavior, like did they show up on time? Like, are they engaged? Are they distracted and doing other stuff? Are they interrupting people? Are they disrupting the discussion like I have been doing constantly this episode? That's what the show, you're being very professional in the context of this oh, show. Oh, awesome. You know, what do you guys think about that? Like, is it okay to define professionalism based on appearance or like, what do you think about, about that? I think for the based on appearance. Which I, by the way is what social media is all about. It's all about appearance. Yeah. I think... I don't know. I just can't picture my doctor like walking in and like gym shorts and stuff. So maybe just like how they put themselves together, just like clean clothes. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's emphasized in our curriculum as well for like caps. Oh, they make us like wear white coats into the interviews and dress Mm -hmm. like nicely. But I do like agree with you that like tattoos, like hair color, whatever, that really shouldn't affect professionalism. Yeah, I think there's definitely like a line and I know that professionalism, a lot of med students don't like because historically it's been used against like people of color and, you know, things like that. And so that's kind of why I have an issue with professionalism. But I think that there's a difference between, you know, when you're doing your like when you're at work and there's also a difference when you're not at work, like when we're talking about Instagram pictures or something like that. You're not at work and you should be able to do whatever you want to do. And then when you're at work, you're doing your job. Like you're seeing patients, you're doing the best that you can in that context. I definitely agree. Like unless you're doing illegal stuff, like don't do that outside of your job as well. Just don't do illegal activities, kids. But like, <laughs> but let me counter and say, you know, who sets the rules for what's illegal? <laughs> the cops might say differently, but like. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, it's Congress and <laughs> state legislators who are all weirdos anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this goes Sorry, back- I didn't mean to get political. But the American Medical Student Association, 
provides some vague guidelines for students on its website. One, be professional. (laughs) Two, be responsible. Three, maintain separation from patients. Four, be transparent and use disclaimers. Five, be respectful. Six, follow copyright laws. Seven, protect patient information. Eight, avoid politics. Mm, Nine, that's hard. Comply with all legal restrictions. And 10, be aware of risks to personal privacy and security. You know, to play the devil's advocate a little bit about the social media, you know, when you're deciding what to put on social media, it's a little bit like you're opening the door into your house and then getting mad at someone for criticizing the decor. Like you did open the door, right? And they don't have to look in. They can look anywhere else. But seeing as their eyeballs wander into your living room and they go, I don't like that painting you put up. You're like, it's none of your business. Then maybe don't leave your door open. Right. But I don't know. That's that's the devil's advocate standpoint. Yeah, yeah. For sure. It's like the discussion around celebrities, right? Yeah. You, you put yourself out there. You're a celebrity. Yeah. But there's a, so there's a big difference between say like opening the door to your living room and opening the door into say like your King Claire. So like where you have all your straps <laughs> and chains. Like, so, you know, I Memo so there, to myself, close <laughs> the door to my King Claire. So like there's a difference, right? Like it's completely like I, I as I'm carrying this analogy out, I'm realizing like keep going, Aline. I keep going. I, I grew I grew up in a town where like in the cul-de-sac where I lived, people left their front doors open. Like that's actually a kind of a re- like not an unreasonable thing to do. Disappointing so, me. I thought you were gonna talk more about King Clayers. I can just you have to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> I charge for that. I kinda get what you're saying. It's like you post things like Maybe like for your friends, not necessarily for like some random people to just criticize you, right? It's like, yeah, I guess maybe that's why. Like, I think I heard somewhere like private your account and stuff, yeah. like just for people you actually want to see, mm-hmm. instead of like, like you said, opening the door for someone else to just. Here's the problem with that. Maybe this isn't really a problem. Here's the problem I have with that. So you know, people follow us on Instagram, right? And I go to look at their profiles and it's private. And I'm like, do people really want the shortcode podcast, i.e. Dave Etler, to follow them back if their account is private or would they rather not? So invariably, I don't follow back mm. accounts that are private if I'm acting as as the shortcode podcast. Does that seem like the right thing, yeah. the professional thing to do? Yeah, you're not you're not equals in that situation. Like they're seeking information about you because you have information to give. You're you shouldn't in theory care about their information. Unless they're an Iowa student and then I can't. Unless they're unless I already have a relationship with them. Basically, it's like you're like a celeb like you don't expect celebrities to follow you back whether like right? So you're the celebrity in this situation and then So should I do does that mean I should do it more or not do it? You don't have to like Okay. I mean, I private my account just cuz like there's a lot of like spam like bots going around like sure mm-hmm. you get messages that are like you know they're not real <laughs> singles in your neighborhood okay. i, I wasn't you, looking for singles <laughs> tell you how often i get dms on instagram from like suspicious women no yeah right no, like so like, like hi my snapchat like, like hi and then i'm like oh yeah you're not real like my, <laughs> my snapchat added list is literally like 30 women and I, I know for sure that's like women don't add me on snapchat so it's like 
I know you're all bots. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe we should, okay. Or alternative theory, Jacob. Maybe we're pretty hot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And women. It's a possibility. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, all y'all. <laughs> I was just thinking, this is not at all related to our conversation, but there was an interesting documentary that came out recently about a service, I think, based in Florida that like targeted like lonely men with ads from women mm. and basically started this like letter writing service. And these men, and it was just like just a regular guy, I think, writing these letters and like eventually expanded his business to include other women. But like, these men really believed that they were like, you know, exchanging letters with these beautiful women that like were going to come to where they lived and they would marry them and live happily ever after. Because that's how life works. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how life works. Yeah. And so the ethics there are really interesting, you know, but they didn't have. But this all happened before the Internet. Like there was no way for them to like Google Maps, the address of the place, you know, and be like, hey, that's not, you know, like. That's a vacant lot. Yeah, exactly. Or like some corporate <laughs> building or whatever. So it was a lot easier to trick people. There the are, of course, many great uses for social media, like to advocate for causes that, you know, medical professionals believe in or want to promote diversity in hospitals, gender equality, universal health care, you know, whatever it is that you think is in the best interest of your profession and your patients. That's a pretty good use of social media unless somebody doesn't agree with you <laughs> on mm. what is a good use of social media because that's the other thing i mean you know appropriateness is always in the in the eye of the beholder mm. and you know you could disregard somebody who seems a little fringy about their about their feedback to you but mm-hmm. again it's a chance i guess that you take for your beliefs yeah that's a big problem too with social media is that it supplants, you know, conversations about nuanced things that really should happen in a safe, protected environment where people are open hearted. And it's not like seeing a social media post that's political is like, it's like driving by a billboard and being like, I hate that business, but I'm on my way to something else. And so you have the emotional reaction, but you don't have anywhere to put those feelings because it's not an organic exchange. So... Which is not to say you shouldn't or should do it. I was just thinking of like how much social media cheapens life and ideas, you know, down to their barest, literally characters. And that's it. Removes all nuance. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Like on Twitter, especially like with like all the politics going on, it's like you can only say so much in 140 characters. So it's just like people just like you can't really articulate a point well. In, like, one tweet. So, like, you just have people, like, going back and forth and just, like... Yeah, all... but what about this? What about that? You exactly. Know? And it's, like, there's a lot of personal attacks and all that stuff. And it's, like, Twitter is a place. That's all I have to say. I can't do Twitter. I remain unable to understand tweets to this day. Be- because of that reason, they're, they're usually very short. And I just... It's, like, I can't parse a tweet into something that my brain can work with for some reason. And that's because I'm an old, I guess. That's how it is. An old? I'm an old. (laughs) And I feel like I'm guilty of this, but you can just like tailor your opinions to fit whatever you want to see on social media. Like I know, I don't know how political we're allowed to get, but like 
after the Roe v. Wade. We just did a whole show on that last week. So. Oh, yeah. Like after that got overturned, I just like if I saw someone post like, oh, life won today, I would just like unfollow. So I wouldn't have to see that. I did so much unfollowing yeah. in 2020. <laughs> so then, yeah. So it, like everyone that I'm friends with or that I follow have the same opinions as me. Right. That kind of just like reinforces that cycle. And I'm sure it's the same for the other side as well. Listeners, if you ask us a question, it means that I don't have to make something up to talk about on the show. And the show becomes what you want it to be. So send your questions to the shortcodes at gmail.com or leave a message at 347-SHORT-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. We've got to visit the financial aid office to hear about our sponsor for this episode, Panacea Financial. The National Bank. Oh, you're right in my camera. Aline. (laughs) God. We've got to visit the financial aid office to hear about our sponsor for this episode, Panacea Financial, the national bank for doctors by doctors. As a doctor, the average bank isn't built for the medical student community. At Panacea Financial, they get it because they have lived it. As a bank founded by two MedPeds physicians, they are dedicated to providing solutions for the unique needs of doctors and doctors in training, including their PRN personal loan. Do you have a good way to cover the costs of moving for residency or pay for an unexpected life cost? Do you want to avoid credit cards or refinance existing and expensive credit card debt? Then check out their PRN personal loan as a way to help. It has up to $15,000 in funding for medical students, a period of no or low affordable payments, no co-signer requirement, and even if you don't need any of Panacea's medical student loans, you can refer a friend and Panacea Financial will pay up to $250 for each referral. So there's your gig right there. There's your Medfluencer gig. And there is no limit to how many people you can refer. Join the growing number of medical students nationwide that expect more from their bank and have switched to Panacea Financial. Visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to learn how a bank for doctors by doctors can help you. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Let's, Let's think about some hypothetical situations around social media. Which is worse? Posting a sweet patient story on Facebook that could lead to identification of the patient or posting denigrating words about a patient that keeps him or her anonymous. Do we have to pick? Can we say both are bad? (laughs) I mean, Mm. they're both pretty bad. They're both pretty bad. Mm -hmm. They're both pretty bad. Harvard poses this question to incoming medical students. Mm. Um, And the, you know, yeah, the spoiler is that they're, they're both not great and i guess you know so so the reasons i don't know like yeah you'd never want to identify a patient that's like an absolute hard line absolutely not that's a crime that is a a crime crime. that's right yeah but you know what's wrong with talking about a patient who sucks but not identifying them come on michelle you're the one who refused to pick Michelle's the Switzerland and I don't want anything to do with this. I don't understand why people use social media as like an outlet when they know that like everyone can see what they're posting. They're venting basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can journal or something. I don't know. (laughs) Or like people have gotten really good at communicating without the details. So like depersonalizing it and saying like, I really appreciate when patients, you know, I don't know. Cause like the hospital does that all the time. Like they, talk about well maybe that's not a good example but they like share social media posts from patients like praising the university to be like hey guys we're doing a good job like look at these posts that's that's because they have they that's because when they gather those things they 
probably request that they sign a release or something like that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So hypothetical two, a student becomes Facebook friends with a patient who says she has quit smoking, but the patient later posts a photo with a cigarette on her page. Should the student bring this information up when they interact with the patient? How would you feel if you were the patient? Should medical practitioners ever be friends with their patients? That's hard. That's a hard one. I feel like if they're no longer your patient, like maybe. But they are your patient. Right. So I'm saying like, you know, they come and see you and then at some point they switch to a different provider, they move or something. I feel like that's like one situation. But because of the power dynamic, it's kind of a weird, I don't know. I don't think we assume there's a power dynamic though. I mean, Between you're just, a patient and a provider. Yeah. I get, I, so I, I think what the hypothetical is asking is, like, is it right for you to incorporate that and, in, like, say at your next appointment to be like, hey, so I thought, you know, I thought you were trying to quit tobacco, but it's, I came into some information that you are still smoking. So, like, the question is, like, did you come by that information in the right way to be able to share it? Or do you just have to like close your eye, like blind yourself to it and be like, I only work with the information that's shared in the exam room. Right. Yeah. I don't know. That's hard. I don't know. This is right. I lean towards the second one a little bit more towards like not not bringing it up. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I just because, you know, the patient can share with you if they want to share with you. Should medical yeah. practitioners ever be friends with their patients? Well, that's what I was. I don't. Th- <laughs> I mean, so like I have uh, on clerkships, I have worked with providers who had patients who were friends of theirs, like either their kids went to the same school or whatever. And they would, you know, just like have a grand old time at the beginning of the encounter, just kind of catching up and then be like, all right, let's get down to business. So about your health. So like I can't imagine being Facebook friends, you know, in the absence of like that level of closeness. Right. So like if you were I I would imagine if you were Facebook friends with your doctor, it's because you're friends in real life and they would know that about you anyway. And they maybe would feel comfortable at like the basketball game where your kids play to be like, hey, I thought you quit smoking. What's going on? Like, why are you doing this again? You know, I thought we talked about that. Like, I would assume that they would have that level of comfort. But then again, people had each other on Facebook pretty casually, like no with no ever having met in real life in some cases. So that's a, that's plausible. How about this hypothetical? A residency program has found social media posts, images of a potential candidate that the residency deems to be unprofessional. They decide these posts are a red flag for ranking this candidate high on their list since there are other candidates that have, quote, more clean social media presences. Should the residency be allowed to do this? Should they be required to let candidates know if this will be a factor in their decision? Should the applicants get a chance to explain their post to the residency if that is, if that is the only problem with their application? I mean, I guess I would say it's like transparency is always good. Like all these admissions, like to get into med school residency, like we don't really know what goes on. So like I feel like for the applicants, tra- uh, transparency would always be good. And again, it probably depends on the posts. Like unfortunately, like no matter what, the residencies, they have all the power in this decision, right? So they can kind of just do whatever they want. Is it fair? Maybe not, but it's currently how the system is right now. So, You know, the flip side to that is that that kind of surreptitious sharing of information can also benefit a lot of applicants, right? Like in a different way, it's not official or formal, but a 
program director can call up, you know, a professor at a school where a student applied to be like, hey, do you know this student? Like, do you think that they'd be a good fit for this? And so I I wonder if like banning someone from seeking out your information on social media also means like, do we have to rule out all types of like ex facto communications about applicants, right? So I don't know. What if, well, how, how about this? I'll pose a counter scenario to you. What if they saw someone on someone's, saw something on someone's social media and said, oh, that's dope. We definitely need this person in our program. Would that be okay too? I feel like that one actually happens. You think maybe so? often now with like medfluencers and like people that are really active on social media. Mm -hmm. Sometimes like applicants go into interviews and people already know who they are. So, hmm. yeah. I mean, I was even just thinking like they see that you, you know, someone is like a, a hobby rock climber that enhances my perspective. I didn't even think of like medfluencers. Oftentimes these med influencers are posting what I like to call their highlight reel. Do you think this over idealized view of what life in medicine is like could further contribute to burnout among those who watch these videos? What responsibility do people in the med influence sphere have to be transparent about the ups and downs of life in medicine? I mean, I think they should be transparent, but like at the same time, get that bag, man. Yeah, how are like, you going to sell your figs <laughs> if you're being all truthful about med? <laughs> Never ask a poor med student a question that involves them not making money. <laughs> it's unethical. <laughs> Do you want this hundred? Jump off this cliff. I don't know. That That's the problem. I think that's the problem with all of these hypotheticals. It's that these questions couldn't even be posed previously because like there were so many boundaries separating the professional realm from the personal realm and things like that and now the boundaries kind of don't exist yeah right mm -hmm. people can come into information about you that you never intended for them to have and that can be good or bad and there's also what you do on your time is kind of your business if you can manage to have you know a day job and then also have this side job where you make money and you're not hurting anyone and it's not illegal yeah i think the only scenario that i kind of have an issue with with medfluencers are the ones that like just get into medical school they've never served on an admissions committee but then they offer up their services for money and saying i can take a look at your application i can tell you what you need to do to get into med school it's like I don't really feel like those people are qualified in that case. Mm -hmm. But if they're just making like TikToks of their day to day in med school and even if they romanticize it and they make money off of it, I feel like I have less of an issue with that than like the first case. I think mm -hmm. that as long as it's informative, then it's OK. Like day like if they do like a day in my life as a med student or like answer questions about like how they study and like which resources they use, I think that's a really good way for people who are getting into med school to like understand mm -hmm. how to study better or like where they can go if they need extra help but like Michelle said if they just take advantage of people who are kind of I don't want to say like desperate but I feel like I mean, we we're, were all, all kind we were, of yeah like trying to get yeah. into like a grad program I feel like you always feel that desperation and you want to get like as much help as you can get and taking advantage of that is just not right it does feel a little exploitative Shortcoats, if you're enjoying our conversation today, I'd be grateful if you'd let people know by posting a story on Instagram or Facebook or tweeting about us. And don't forget to tag us in your post. Thank you. So I got a listener question. Alyssa left us a message at our listener line at 347 short CT. 
And I was thinking, let's have her on the show. Let's have her on the show to actually ask her question. Alyssa, welcome to the Short Code Podcast. Hi, thank you. Hi, y'all. Hello. Uh, Alyssa, tell us a little about why you called us. Yeah, for sure. So a little background about myself. I went into undergrad in 2016, and my first semester I had um, a unique experience, I guess you could say. We actually had a man break into our dorm while we were home in the middle of the night. It was a very unfortunate kind of traumatic experience, and we were tied up in litigation for that for about two months. As a result, my first semester GPA was pretty bad. It was a 2.6, I think. The school forgave that as far as scholarships, but obviously medical school won't see that, and it made it really hard to bring my GPA up. I was doing a pretty good job of getting it up, and then fall 2018, I started having pretty severe migraines several times a week, and started having retrograde amnesia. And obviously that was really scary and it was affecting my studies. So I started going to doctors and they were telling me that I wasn't sleeping enough or not eating the right things. I even had a physician tell me, at this point, maybe you should consider dropping out of college. So obviously that was something that was really hard for me to take. I'd always been a very academic person and that's not even something I had considered as an option before. Luckily, I had a really good mentor who knew me personally, who was a orthopedic surgeon, and he knew that that wasn't in my plan. And he was aware that something was more wrong than just me eating something incorrect. So he referred me to a neurologist, at which point after what felt like forever of running tests, we found that I had a benign brain tumor. And that's what was causing the migraines and whether the brain tumor or the migraines themselves were affecting my memory. That's what just had been going on. And it was such a relief to find out that there was a reason that everything was going on and it was treatable, something we could handle. So after months of monitoring and treatment, I was able to kind of get back to myself. I never got the memories that I lost back, but I got better able to bring up my grades. I actually founded the first Doctors Without Borders student chapter in my state. Cool. And last week I defended my master's thesis on differences in pathway activity and hepatocellular carcinoma. So that's kind of my background. My issue is though, I my undergrad GPA was a 3.4, which is pretty low for med schools, even though I did do my best to bring it up after both of those, I guess, road bumps, you would say. It still is pretty low. And then my grad GPA was a 3.91. So I want to be able to talk about in my applications, hey, guys, like my undergrad GPA doesn't really accurately represent who I am as a student. And these are the reasons why. But I also don't want to come off as someone who's like, the world happens to me and it's not my fault that my GPA was bad. So I was just wondering if y'all could give some advice on kind of balancing, explaining what happened, what the best way to phrase kind of what happened without being too complaining, but also to explain those dips in my GPA. So what do you guys think? How can she talk about these challenges without seeming all whiny? Like, oh, poor me, I had a brain tumor. Well, so one thing I would say is, first of all, like, I'm sorry, like, those things happened to you. Like, that's very difficult. Like, when, like, I can't really imagine what that's like. But, like, I think one thing I like to say is, like, 
you've had these big events happen to you, but like when you're like able to like focus on studies and like everything's going well, like you've shown obviously that your GPA is really good. You can, you have the academic ability to like keep up. So like, I think that's really good. And like, that's what admissions committees really want. They don't, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, grades are great. They are an indication they don't tell the whole story. And I think admissions committees in general understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Like the master's GPA, like that, like kind of just like, like you, you are worried about the undergrad, but like they'll see I think the, the master's, they'll GPA. see the master's yeah. and they'll be like, oh, she's good. Yeah. And that, then like, that definitely takes precedence over anything that you got in undergrad. And there, think, and there are plenty of people who are on the, who have been on the show actually, who haven't done all that great in undergrad, but who didn't even go to master's programs mm-hmm. and get awesome grades then they just worked in industry or whatever they just worked in the private sector or wherever and they did a great job and so they got into med school so yeah yeah well congratulations on defending your masters it's super exciting thank you yeah i agree with jacob from a more like logistical standpoint there's space in the application that'll say like is there anything that you want to share with us and i personally didn't do the best my first semester and so that was space that i took to explain kind of why as well and so you know you're gonna have like spaces like that on your application you're gonna talk about it in your interview and even you describing everything that happened to you it didn't feel like you were like oh my gosh this (gasps) happened to me like you know, you're doing great and you have examples of ways that you've improved and, you know, echoing the grad GPA. I think just the best thing to do is focusing on what you've learned and, you know, using the grad GPA as an example of, you know, like I do know what I'm doing and I, when I, you know, I focus and my GPA has gotten better and I've done, you said the Doctors Without Borders, like I've done all of these amazing things and I think to focus on that as part of your application. I was just going to say like the upward trajectory is just what I think grad schools usually look for and I feel like you also have a really unique like insider's look into like the medical system with like how you're bouncing from physician to physician and like no one really believe you and kind of like gaslit you in your situation until you're referred to a neurologist I think you could definitely talk about that experience without sounding like you were like complainy and I think if they are concerned about your undergrad GPA in an interview they would mention that they would just be like oh could you explain this gap and then you could just talk about your situation also your undergrad GPA is not bad yeah 3.4 is not bad (laughs) it's actually pretty good I just want to I know you see the stats online and all that stuff yeah just remember the stats the stats are and and everything you read in the forums is often bullshit yeah I agree I I mean big time bullshit you know, I mean, you're looking at, at at best, you're looking at averages. You know, so when a school says, oh, we want, you know, we, we are, our average undergrad GPA is 3.6, right? That's an average. There's a, there could be a wide range that, they, you know, they don't include the range. And you just have so many more valuable experiences than mm-hmm. just like a number. Plus. Yeah. I will say, as, as has been somewhat alluded to, you have the perfect personal statement material for, you know, with, with the brain tumor thing. I mean, if that's what you want to, if, if, if you can talk about, you know, what you learned, if you can sort of passionately discuss in your personal statement how that changed you and your perception of medicine or how that made you, how that sort of makes you understand more about what you want to become then that's fabulous. That's good stuff. 
And I just want to add, like... They're going to eat you up. They're going to... Yeah. No, like, I want to just add, like, GPA, MCAT, like... I'm Talking from the other end of the spectrum, we're, like, my GPA and MCAT were, like, pretty good. But, like, I didn't get any love from, like, the rest of the school. So I think, like, the most important we thing... We love you. And that's that true. Iowa loves me. So, like, that's all that's important. But, like, Screw those other schools. But really, it's just, like, being able to, like, what makes you stand out, like... GPA and MCAT is just a number, but, like, I think med schools, especially, like, the top med schools, like, they want people who are, like, change the world that are, like, have, ex- like, broad experiences and, like, you have a lot of different experiences that are unique and, like, if you can really sell, like, you just need to sell yourself and, like, what you learned and, like, what makes you unique as an individual, it makes you a really strong applicant. And I want to say something about the phrase sell yourself. That feels icky sometimes, but it's kind of an important skill to have in life. There are going to be times when you need to sell yourself. You know, if if you have an idea that you think is beneficial to the world, right? If you have an idea that you think is going to make a difference, to some extent, you got to sell yourself as well as that idea. So try not to look at it as something icky that you have to do. Just look at it as, you know, talking about why you're going to be a good candidate why you're going to be a good physician, what you bring to the table of medicine and medical education. I think that's what schools really want to really want to know about you. And also, you know, don't look at it as being whiny about your circumstances. I think schools really want this information. I think schools really want this, want to know these things about you. They want to know what makes you unique how your circumstances have not only not not just defined you, but how you've overcome them. And you definitely have. So I'm going to have the last word here, which is good job, Alyssa. Good job. If I was on the admissions committee, you'd, you'd be in med school right now. You should apply to Iowa. <laughs> I wasn't going to say on it. my list. I wasn't going <laughs> to Is it? Are we? Yeah. Okay. We won't tell anybody except for the whole world. I hope we helped. Yeah, definitely. Thank y'all. Awesome. Thank you for your question, Alyssa. It was very nice to meet you and have you on the show. Thank you. Y'all too. Well, that's our show. Thank you, Michelle, Alice, Jacob, Aline, who had to leave and go to a meeting. Thank you for being on the show with me today. Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks for having us. And what kind of malignant lesion would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcuts, for making us part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, follow the show wherever fine podcasts are available. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Our editors are um, people whose names I will insert here at a later date because I forgot to look them up. Maddie Wallian and Katie Hyam Kessler. And our producer this week is Riley B. and Bush. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine, student government, and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. I'm Dave Etler saying don't let the bastards get you down. Talk to you in one week. Hi, Shortcoats. Look, life in medical education, life in America, life in the world is often difficult. And I often wish I could help. All I have is this podcast, but in my wildest dreams, you have the support you need to lead a life of your choosing. You deserve to be happy, healthy, and successful in whatever ways you define those words. So if you need support because you've experienced racism, discrimination, harassment, mental health crises, I want you to be able to get the help 
that you need. And so I'm going to put some links in the show notes to some resources that you can use. But the bottom line is that for what it's worth, I see you. I know you're out there. I wish I could do more. Maybe I can in ways that I don't understand yet or know about. But I see you and I'm glad you're here and other people are too. This Shortcode podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.